this new work, I'm, I've also started painting flowers a lot. And again, like just sort of like landscape. I never thought I'd be like making paintings of flowers. It's like a rather big cliche. But I, I am interested in flowers because of their like overt beauty. And because like because of their overt beauty, thinking about how they've been a symbol of femininity and they're associated with I think the feminine being beautiful and delicate and soft and all and colorful, all that. And I'm interested in how just historically, like colorful painting has not been respected as being kind of intellectually rigorous and in certain subjects like flowers have not been as respected. And I don't think that's that's too different than sort of how we think about women just culturally and, and you know, and so the symbol of flowers, it's it's interesting. Like I think it can be it's sort of benign. You know, it's it's non threatening. And in that way I think it can be easily overlooked. And I'm sort of I'm sort of interested in that, this idea that that I'm like a woman painting these flowers and people might make assumptions about me or my work based on that. And I'm sort of I'm I'm sort of interested in that as a kind of a subversive gesture, I think. Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 232nd episode, I'm really excited to be joined by Christina Renfer Vogel, who spoke with me recently all about her paintings and her studio practice. We, of course, talk all about her history and background in painting and how she came to be a painter, all those good things coming up. And, of course, we talk in depth about her studio practice which again if you go to christinarenfervogel.com you'll see she's got a ton of different types of paintings so be sure and check them out we're talking figurative paintings and working from observation versus working from a photograph and you know some of the various subjects that most recently includes plants and floral and what that means and of course we're going to break that down coming up but be sure to check out more of her work and follow her on instagram at christinarenfervogel if you're new to Studio Break, be sure and check out studiobreak.com. We've got a bunch of interviews up there. You can check them all out. Each of them have images of the artist's artwork, links to their websites, and you can listen to the interviews right there in the default player or just click those links, subscribe to the podcast, and listen there. Studio Break is on social media, and it's a great way to see what some of our past guests do. So be sure and follow on Instagram at studio underscore break. You can see some of the various artworks and you know, works by printmakers as well as painters, sculptors, and everything in between. You can also give us a like on Facebook and, of course, follow us on Twitter at Studio Break. And with those quick announcements out of the way, here is our interview with Christina Renfrew Vogel. Stay tuned. Welcome to Studio Break, Christina Renfrew Vogel. How are you this morning? Thank you. I'm doing well. I'm so glad that we could connect. Yeah, I know. Again, I, I looked through my notes and I realized, again, this is a interview that's been a long time coming. You were one of the uh, 2018 Studio Break Pro Competition winners selected by Brian Frank. And, you know, as I'm looking through this work, I don't know how familiar you are with his work, but he also paints a lot of floral stuff as mm -hmm. well, landscapes. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, oh, I could see the attraction. And obviously, mm -hmm. very colorful work. So I'm excited mm -hmm. to kind of talk to you about it and figure out how it's made. Thanks. But I always like to dive, you know, way back into the past and find a little <laughs> bit more about you. So where are you from? So I was born in New Jersey, but I grew up in Pennsylvania, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, in a kind of a suburban environment, not an artsy kind of place, although there is there's more happening now than when I lived there some time ago. As a 
suburban dweller, I guess I'm, I feel right at home then already. <laughs> Did you have a lot of experience in terms of like art kind of growing up? Was that something that was really interesting to you early on? Yeah, I mean, I always just did it kind of naturally. I didn't come from an artistic family. Uh, I have an aunt who is very like one aunt who is very creative and sort of painted. But my family isn't is not into the visual arts at all. And so it's kind of, sometimes I feel like it was sort of destined to be maybe or it's a miracle maybe that I'm mm -hmm. that I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm the oldest of, of four children. I have three younger brothers. And so they were all very much into sports. And I kind of spent all my time inside drawing. Uh, I went to public school. We had a lot of access to the arts in school. And so I had a great middle school teacher that I was very close with, an art teacher. And we had more than one high school art teacher. And I had opportunities that I look back now and I'm kind of surprised by, um, given that it's not an art center. Sure. <laughs> We're about an hour and a half away from Philadelphia. It wasn't like I was growing up and going to art museums or had any kind of model of a professional working artist in my life. Well, it's it's always weird, too, like in terms of like different school setups, because I know some of them, especially now, have so many new technologies. And then you think of some of the things that like I had a dark room and I don't even know how common that is for high schools now because they probably have a digital lab to print everything, you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I was taking, you know, I had a commercial art class and we, that was all analog. So we were tr using tracing paper and things like that. Right. So this is, you know, in, in the 90s. But um, I'm sure it's different now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and again, now it's like everything is like, uh, you know, iPads, which are super mm -hmm. impressive. There's another professor that I teach with that's apparently like been scanning in you know, paper surfaces to, to draw digitally and stuff like that. So Amazing. it's really kind of yeah. crazy how tools have changed, but you were always kind of someone kind of maybe driven more towards the, I guess, direct methods, or at least maybe that's <laughs> something safe to say. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I did go to school. Um, you know, I went to art school and I, I did go for graphic design, you know, thinking, oh, this is how I get a job in, in the arts without having an understanding of what that looked like. Mm -hmm. So then when I shifted to working digitally, it, I, I just like really didn't like it. And that kind of shifted me back out and, and back towards painting. So I've always just had, I think, a real love of the tactile and working directly, as you say, and drawing. And I didn't really paint until college. Yeah, that's always just been what I've very steadily towards drawing and painting, I guess, since since being a kid. But you were just describing, you know, maybe starting out as a graphic designer. What kind of led you towards yeah. painting? Did you have a painting experience? <laughs> I uh, I was just taking it as an elective. So I went to Tyler, uh, which is Temple's art school in, in Philadelphia. And this is an example of just like my history teacher in high school was like, you know, I've heard that that Temple has a good art program. And that's kind of how I learned about it. I just had no, it's, it's just like a miracle that it happened, sure. I feel like. <laughs> but it was an amazing experience being there. And your whole first year there, you take foundations year where everyone is kind of taking the same classes and then you don't declare your major until your sophomore year. So that's when I started getting into um, design classes and I ended up taking painting as an elective. I just really loved it. And so when I realized that graphic design wasn't for me, I didn't actually switch to majoring in painting, actually made the shift to uh, essentially double majoring in painting and art education. Because again, like art, I'm a very kind of practical person. And my parents were certainly, my parents were not very supportive for <laughs> when I made the shift from graphic design. I think they were just afraid that, you know, oh no, then like she will not get a job. But I shifted from graphic design to art education because that was like another kind of choice that seemed vocationally minded, you know? 
So I was able to get my BFA again in painting where I, I that was my focus. You could do it a, a, a couple of different ways at Temple, but by loading up and taking extra educational coursework, I, I did some some work over the summer as well. And then I did an extra semester at the very end for my student teaching. Uh, but I went through and did the, did the student teaching and all that stuff. But anyway, painting was was really the thing that I was most interested in. And I think it was just taking that class as a sophomore that really did it. Yeah, I feel like there should be like a coffee table book about, you know, those moments, I guess, you know, I, I, know. I think it's hilarious because I did so poorly when I started that I went from being, I think, a fine art major to thinking like, oh, I'll do art education, which is kind of mm -hmm. hilarious because it's like I almost mm -hmm. failed out of college. You yeah. know? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, of course, be a much better teacher than I would be like an artist. Mm -hmm. It's interesting to think about like not having that kind of experience uh, with paint, I guess, prior to that, you know, like I had done acrylics and some watercolor, but yeah, same. oil paint was just such a different animal. I know it's, it's, I mean, I know that there are some schools in high school you can, you can work with oils, but that was, that was not my experience. So it was, it was a whole new thing taking in college and it, it, I was hooked from then on. And was there any kind of particular, like, uh, I don't know, drive behind the work in terms of like what you were um, exploring. And again, obviously a lot changes, you know, when you're pursuing your BFA, but were you kind of into uh, working from observation? And I, I, you know, I have just always been, that has been very steady throughout my practice. And it's funny, you know, I've, I've changed of course, as a person and I have new experiences and, and that have informed my work and I think complicated the work a lot more, but I don't know. I think I have been interested in kind of the same things that just sort of cycles around and around. In undergrad, mostly I was working with a figure, and in particular, Susan Moore was a professor that I sought out and worked with as much as possible uh, because I really appreciated her approach to working with the figure. And so we worked a lot from a model, and but I was also working with photographs as tools and, and thinking a lot about portraiture. So that was that was really my focus as an undergrad. And it was something that like not a lot of people were doing at the time, so I always felt a little bit uh, not embarrassed, but like nervous about it. Not nervous about it like I wasn't into it, but I always felt like nobody is going to respect this this work in terms of my peers. I'm thinking about my peers. Sure. Most people um, and the, the painting majors uh, were working abstractly. Yeah, I feel the same way now, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. And I think it's interesting, too, because you can be interested in a lot of the same things. You know, I would sure. imagine, oh, yeah. you know, fi figurative work, to me, like I think of, you know, just all the amazing variations that you could get even just for like flesh tones and, and things like that. Yeah. And I think ultimately, it's, I've been painting now seriously for, I don't know, 20 years about, but I, th I think I have more of an understanding and a confidence about that now. But I think ultimately, people are just, people will be interested in your work, if you're excited about your work, you know, right. and you're, you have something to say, uh, through your work. And I think, even as an undergrad, when I was feeling these feelings of like, I don't know if this is, this is the work that's going to be accepted. I was always surprised, I guess, when people did respected it, I guess. And I just think it is sort of like, if you're passionate about painting, it doesn't have to be painting. But since I'm talking about painting, I just always could have a dialogue with other painters, because we just, as you say, like are interested in a lot of the same things. And so I find that to be true now, like, you know, I look at a, a work, a lot of work that isn't necessarily in line with the kinds of work that I'm making. And I'm also 
you know, I have a lot of friends and peers that I talk with whose work is really different than mine. And I think that's so important and exciting. Yeah. And one of the really cool things about that time in, in your life, I guess, you know, I say this as family members are, you know, getting ready to go off to college, you know, for the first time, I'm not only feeling really old, but then I'm also thinking about those types of experiences You're around all mm-hmm. these different people. Oh, gosh, um, were there other kind of like influences in terms of like, you know, artists that you were looking at at the time that you maybe think back on? As an undergrad, you know, so I was there in the late 90s and the early 2000s. So the internet as a as a research tool wasn't wasn't a thing for me. It wasn't part of my experience. So that's so different sure. than it is now. I spent a lot of time just going to the library and I feel like I had a much stronger understanding of of historical painting and so I was I was looking at a lot of like modernist painting, I guess, mm-hmm. and I love living in Philadelphia. I didn't go to New York too much. And now I think that was really dumb. I did go to the, you know, Philadelphia Museum of Art a whole lot. And, um, you know, I'm thinking of, you know, Alice Neal was somebody, Mm -hmm. of course, that I was looking at, especially working with portraiture. And at the while I was a student, there was a big Alice Neal show at the at the PMA. So it was really exciting to see that work in person as well historical painters like Manet, for example, and, and post-impressionists, I would constantly take out this Vuillard, this big fat Vuillard book from the library. And there was a Fairfield Porter book also that I remember like going back to again and again. Uh, Matisse, of course. Sure, sure. Somebody turned me on to Ewan Uglo at some point, And so I got excited about, about his work. Those are some of the people as an undergrad I was looking at. And of course, I still continue to look at these artists for sure. Well, and I'm curious then, so in terms of like a capstone exhibition, was that essentially what you were kind of focused in on then is, is figurative work at the time? Yeah. And at Tyler, um, it's interesting, like uh, it, it, maybe it's different now, but for me as a student, you had to apply and it wasn't a requirement. So I had a, like a kind of a group capstone. So I, I applied with two other, we put together basically a three-person capstone show. And there were multiple galleries. Now Tyler is also in a whole different, it's on the main campus. At the time it was in Elkins Park. So it's it's completely different. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the work that was in that exhibition was self-portraits. And then I think I just had one portrait of this crazy painting of my parents. Yeah. And so, you know, from there, like, did you kind of feel... The, like the immediate push to kind of go right back into it or, or what was the thought process afterwards? Cause I, again, it's weird. For, I worked at like Hobby Lobby, you know, I, I was an art framer for like a couple of years and like, Oh, I'm, I'm supposed to take time off. I had, um, so this, this teacher, Susan Moore, I mean, I went to grad school really because of her. I don't think that would have been on my radar at all. To the, so I went to grad school for painting and just wouldn't have done that. I think like she didn't pressure me or anything, but she just sort of like, had a lot of confidence in my work and really just, it was, it was an option, you know, that I, I just wouldn't have, I think, arrived at without her mentorship. And I did four years and then didn't, and then again with like some summer classes and some doubling up because I was doing this double major. And then I had one semester where I was focused on student teaching. And then I think I was doing an independent study maybe at the time. So I was still painting. And then I applied to grad school right after, which I, I don't recommend that my students do and I wouldn't if I could do it all over again I would work for a while and and have some more experiences as a young adult just painting on my own and figuring things out but I I didn't do that I applied to grad school and I got accepted to a few programs and I ended up going to mass art in Boston and so I just had like one semester really where I was in a summer where I was living in Philly and and working 
in painting a little bit. Uh, so I just like rolled right into grad school and kind of picked up where I left off. So the work, you know, I, a lot of people have these huge shifts, but honestly, the work did not shift very much for me in grad school. There was no, there was no, you got to burn all these paintings that nah. you brought with you. <laughs> no, none of that. Well, that's good. Um, and I guess I'm curious too, like what, what I, I would imagine that there still are some things that kind of you know, got pushed or, you know, shifted in some ways. Um, was there anything mm-hmm. that was exciting that you can think back on in, in terms of? Well, I think I was challenged. I mean, this should happen. I was, you know, I was working with totally different people, both peers and instructors. And I was just challenged to think about content much more than I than I was thinking in undergrad. So that was, was big. And, you know, just even having more exhibition opportunities and things like that. You know, I developed a body of work that was more sophisticated then certainly I was thinking in, in undergrad. And I think, you know, it's just paint, just having time to work, having all of that time that's dedicated to making work was was just really influential. Well, and was it figurative then in terms of like what you wound up wrapping that experience with as well? Mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so kind of what happened after that? Did you wind up going into teaching kind of right away then or? I decided, again, just to like, I guess, because I'm, I was thinking about, okay, how am I going to support myself? I was thinking like, okay, I will go to grad school and then I will teach at the college level. Cause that's the thing that you can do. I had no idea how competitive and how, how crazy that is and how hard that would be. And, you know, it's just a whole different climate now when, when our teachers graduated, if they wanted to teach, not all of, I'm sure, but they kind of just got jobs. Then it's just so different now. You know, there are so many people, many more people vying for teaching opportunities now. I, what, I did have some opportunities to teach while I was in school, which was great. And then I taught in the continuing education program at MassArt, doing some evening classes and things like that. And I, you know, just had opportunities. I was invited to teach drawing at the at the University of New Hampshire. That was one of my first experiences, just adjunct. So I would drive up to New Hampshire from Boston a couple of times a week for a while. And I, then I taught at the school that's not even around anymore, Chester College, which is also in New Hampshire. So for a couple of years, I would I was like waiting tables. I was managing a cafe at one point and teaching as well. And then also applying for jobs. So I did that for a few years and um, I got married to my husband who was also in a graduate program. We met while we were both graduate students in Boston. And so we stayed there for a while and then it just became, it was just like, Oh God, it's, I mean, Boston is so expensive. You know, the the recession happened And we were like, we got to get out of here. I just thought like, I'm never going to get a teaching job in Boston. And so we ended up moving to Omaha, Nebraska in 2009, I think. And we lived there for a few years. And that was like a a huge change. I had never lived out there. My husband is from Western Nebraska. So it's, it's actually like seven hours west of Omaha. So it's not even like we didn't really move there for his family or anything. But I certainly don't think we would have gone to Nebraska if he wasn't from there. It was, sure. that was never on my, <laughs> on my radar, but we actually had a really good time living there. It's very cheap, very centrally located. You know, I ended up working at the Bema center out there, which is, um, a residency program and exhibition space. And that was a great experience for me. I was doing administration and I was working in development. So I got all these amazing skills that have strengthened my professional practice as an artist, grant writing and working with donors and, and a board of directors and all this stuff that was that was new to me. And I was also teaching as an adjunct for a, a while too. So at, at the University of Nebraska at Omaha out there, I, I taught for a few years. So I've just been hustling for like years, you know, <laughs> sure. and then um, I got a job 
to teach here in Chattanooga at the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga in 2013. So then after living in Omaha for four years, we moved out here and we've been here now for seven years. Wow. Yeah. Again, I mean, it's interesting to think about all the moves or, you know, just the way that things shift so much after, you know, you, you have this weird idea of like what your life is going to be like after you get this degree or something. And then, you know, years later you're like, oh, wow, that was kind of crazy. You know, I never would have predicted. Yeah. Omaha or Chattanooga, that's for sure. I guess now would be especially a good time to kind of dive really into the work. And, you know, again, I would, of course, the website is ChristinaRenforVogel.com. Is that right? Yep, that's right. That's perfect. Yep. But, you know, again, it's interesting to kind of see some of that that work, you know, and, or at least maybe what came out of all that, because you do have a, a number of figurative pieces up there from mm-hmm. one of your bodies of work, which is entitled Encounters. Mm-hmm. So maybe talk a little bit about the the process for these, you know, as I'm writing these down, I couldn't help but wonder, are these from photographs? Are these from Mm -hmm. parties? They kind of reminded me of almost like Mm -hmm. some Alex cat type, you know, configurations in some of them. Yeah. Um, so I made that work. I started to make that work when I went to the Vermont studio center. I think you've been there too. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of amazing because I, after my first year of teaching here, um, which was my first year of full-time teaching, which was so intense, working just around the clock for a whole year, exhausting, totally depleted. And then I had a residency in this like late May after my first year. So I was able to just go away and I knew I wanted to make something new. And I just was like going through all the source material that I had photographs and things saved on my computer. And, you know, I guess because I am, um, old. (laughs) I working as from photographs from undergrad, not exclusively, but I went back and forth. I have always gone back and forth between working from life and working from photos. Um, and I have a really physical relationship with photographs as well. So, you know, like I, I don't like looking at a screen. Mm -hmm. I still print them out or at the time I haven't done this in a while, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. But even when I went to the Vermont uh, Studio Center, I like printed them out at Walgreens or whatever. And so I could hold them in my hands. And so I just had like piles and piles of these snapshots. And like a lot of them are from um, parties or just like openings or places where people are just standing around together in groups. And I was looking for these moments in the photographs that I could kind of grab onto. And I was excited about just you know, the weird things that happen happens through photography where people are kind of stacked on top of each other or like somebody's off in the distance, but it creates this funny scale shift that is is kind of exaggerated and flattened and abstracted by way of photography. Then I like cut them up and took would kind of combine them sometimes or just like focus in on one small part of a larger situation. And all of these paintings are and works on paper are like on a Um, a flat color for the most part, or like on a piece of paper, there isn't much, there isn't any detail about where these figures are. And I was just thinking about these kind of quiet tensions that can happen or how people are holding their bodies, you know, thinking about interaction, thinking about these photographs now, you know, when we're thinking about proximity in such an intense way and uh, where we have to distance, Mm -hmm. uh, it's just like taking on this whole other level of, of meaning for me. Sure. For me, they were very much about like kind of standing on the outside looking in. I think I wrote that that line in my artist statement for that work, but like sure. <laughs> feeling like an outsider necessarily, but being someone who's much more comfortable kind of observing 
and just like quietly lurking or, or watching things unfold. One of the ones that I kind of noted was the assembly one. And I think that kind of describes that perfectly the idea of so you know social distancing especially because i'm you know there's like this nice eye contact with some figures some figures look like they're you know looking at the ground and again mm-hmm. they're the whole you know series kind of has a nice variety where there's sometimes groups but then sometimes you know single individuals or like there's another one called threshold that again mm-hmm. kind of plays with that like you were talking about maybe proximity to the to the camera lens in this case where mm-hmm. you've got a figure that's you know very close and then ones that are much smaller and, and distant i'm curious like in terms of that editing process you were describing that a little bit i mean was there any kind of particular thought process in terms of like the way that you would you know play around with the color or in terms of you know the, the fields that they were on was that something that was like yeah it was more intuitive. I mean, I color sort of feels like a character in a way with that work. So I, I'm interested in how color can play a role and um, can create a sort of atmosphere or emotional space. Sometimes I start with the color in mind. Sometimes the color, I might be led to a color through the photograph in some way, like extending from something that I see that I saw at the time in the photograph. But I don't, I just, I don't have a system for sure. So it's sort of responding, trying things out, changing the color a lot. And is that something that is like done in in layers or is that something that's all done like wet into wet paint? All of those paintings definitely happen over multiple sessions. Um, But I, I do paint, I'm often painting on multiple paintings at the same time. And, you know, sometimes they sit for a while and I don't touch them. I just look at them for some time or I turn it around. I don't want to look at it for a moment. Uh, sometimes they are happening in multiple sessions, but like in more in a way where I am kind of painting on wet on wet because they're still they're still drying. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. There's again, there's not like there's certainly no formula. And some of them just happen much faster. And some of them I just like hack away at more so and have to go back in and make big changes over time. Well, and one of the things that's interesting, too, about like the way that they're, you know, composed is just, you know, with that color field. And I don't know if maybe that's something that people um, maybe have said before, but like that I start kind of like wanting to associate them with like, I don't know, memories or, Mm -hmm. you know, feelings or Mm -hmm. like trying to form a narrative. There's another one that I noted called Match, which has, you know, some kind of unfinished figures in there. And it maybe looks a little bit more, I don't want to say fresh, but I mean, like you know, it's not as complete as some of the other ones. So is that something that was like, you know, maybe open for the viewer to kind of, you know, form those thoughts or? For sure. I mean, I think something that I've always been interested in is just an openness for the viewer. So while they are, I wouldn't say they're narrative in the sense that there's like a a beginning, middle and end. Like I don't have a particular story for each one. Although in some cases I have ideas about what's going on or but I am I am most interested in like presenting something that can sort of be filled in by someone else. And so I might have an idea about something, but I'm I'm certainly open to um, the viewer coming and 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 bringing their own. Exp- I mean, you know, I think that always happens. But I want it, I want there to be, I think, in my work in general, both a directness and an openness simultaneously. And so some of the what you're calling like unfinished moments that are a little more ambiguous or gestural or where it's like I'm, I'm leaving maybe some of the. I don't know if process is the right word, but they, it looks <laughs> like it's 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 not fully formed. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that can that can lend itself to a kind of ambiguity or openness just as much as like a lot of space and a kind of intense or not necessarily even intense, but a dominant color can can suggest something or can help to 
to shift or direct someone to something, or whether it's a feeling or an idea of something. It's funny, I showed this work in an exhibition in Nashville. And more than any show I've ever had, people really wanted to know, like, and what is the story of this painting? And what is what is the story of this painting? And I I just don't want to tell. I think that's really interesting because another thing is that like the figures aren't like, so they don't become so specific that you, mm-hmm. you know, start thinking like, Oh, that's Fred. But you know, like you might know, you know, there's another painting called back to back that that I'm looking at where mm-hmm. again, you might kind of substitute these figures for people, you know, that um, you may know, or you're again, maybe looking at it as a viewer and kind of like, you know, what are these, what's going on in this one? You know? So again, it's kind of interesting and intriguing. Something that, um, now that you say that, that came up in grad school for sure is this, just this thinking about like, what is a, a figure painting and what is a portrait? And is there a distinction? Mm-hmm. I became interested in grad, I guess somewhat, it's maybe I started to become interested in grad school and the idea that you can have a painting that's like very direct where you can like meet the gaze of the the figure in the painting. Maybe it's a portrait and it's about a specific person. But then how can you also just, as we're talking about, just make it more open. And so for me, it sort of shifts into becoming a figure painting when it's less about a specific individual or perhaps where you don't have all the information that you mm-hmm. that maybe you think you have when you're looking at a portrait. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. Know. Well, and, and again, I think one of the things that I love about this too is that, you know, you can imagine that maybe going back into my history, I'm probably knocking on a lot of studio studio doors and mm-hmm. asking all of these questions. So, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, that's kind of what this is, is in terms of a stand-in. So I love hearing the process and, you know, thinking about, you know, what you're thinking about. Thanks. So to kind of like jump around to some other other work, obviously there's a there's another mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm right on this one, but there's another series called Here and There, which the scale looks like it's shifted down maybe a little bit. Like these are definitely paintings that happen more on site, but I could totally be wrong about that. No, you're right. That work, I think, all in that category on my website anyway, is is small. So they're all I don't know what the biggest one is, but they're all definitely like smaller easel size painting. And a lot of them I did make like with the a real French easel, like out, out <laughs> on site. And then some of them are made um, indoors, but interiors and landscapes. Yeah, that were made. I, I think the ones on my website now are from a couple of I had the opportunity to go to Italy a couple of summers back to back. So nice. a bunch of them are from there. And then a bunch are from a residency I did in, in New Hampshire called Hambidge. And then there are some other locations scattered around. And again, is it kind of similar in terms of the way that you would kind of look for compositions and photographs when you're when you're trying to find something that you're wanting to paint? You just some something that you observe and you're like, oh, I'm going to paint this garden. Yeah, I mean, so with that work, those are all done from life. So I haven't used photographs from with that work. And it's not because I again, like, I know that was like a rule a while back and some <laughs> people may still hold on to that. It's not a rule for me not to work from photographs for sure. But for for that work, it's important for me to, to work. Those are like one set. Well, they're not all one session. Most are one session and being on site in the landscape is such a different experience than being in the studio, you know, and I find it to be really challenging and and exciting. And there's so much that I discover in, in the act of making those paintings that I find lends a different kind of energy to the work for sure than when I'm in the studio. And, you know, there's something for me that happens when I have a photograph is like, when is the stopping point? I can like go forever on the mm-hmm. painting. And I, I sort of feel like it becomes about painting. The, unless I'm really, really careful, it can become about like making the painting look as close to the photograph as possible. Like if I'm standing there holding it in my hand. So 
having those those different experiences and, and going out into the landscape and making those paintings, which I sort of fell into. I didn't ever, that was not a plan, <laughs> has been a really exciting part of my, like kind of arm of my studio work. Yeah, I would imagine that it would just get you to loosen up so much, you know, because Definitely. the, and you can see you there's the texture and, you know, the way that you're moving paint around, I think looks so interesting. And, you know, again, some of them become really abstracted, even though there's some that are very tight, but there's one called a uh, garden from above, uh-huh. which, which again, I mean, I, you could almost flip it into a different orientation and you'd be like, oh, that's kind of almost the same, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's interesting, especially working like that too, because you kind of feel like you have to get it, you have to wrap it then, you know, it's that experience. There's some days yeah. where something works out or you have maybe a bunch of starts that you're like, I'm going to like paint over these someday yeah. or something. Yeah, for sure. Well, and that's kind of interesting too. Um, are there any ones that kind of stick out to you that were maybe particularly like kind of interesting or, or I don't know, things that kind of shifted some ways of thinking. So I started to make those paintings when I went to this other residency and I, I had like wrapped up the encounter series and I just wanted to do something new. It, at Hambitch, you have a cabin and you're kind of all by yourself and it's, it's very um, remote. You don't have internet connection in your studios anyway. And you, your, your little cabin is like your living space and your, in your workspace. And that was like a return to working from observation for me. And when I started making the, a lot, some of the paintings that are featured in, in that, on the website and that, in that um, portfolio, it felt really new. <laughs> like landscape mm-hmm. painting, of course, as a genre, is, there's nothing new about those paintings, but it was new to me as a painter. And I just was excited about like, when you're looking at trees, for, you know, it's so complicated and there's just no, there's just no way that you can paint everything that you're observing. And mm-hmm. so there has to be a kind of abstraction, in, you know, inherently abstraction as a verb, right? But it's like, that decision making, I think that I get excited about is like how to distill down information. And again, that's not like totally different than the other kinds of paintings that I'm making alongside these works, but working at different speeds and in a smaller scale, it's just a, a different way of working. And I like having kind of those things happening simultaneously where I'm working on maybe something that's larger and slower alongside something that's that's kind of fast and loose. Mm-hmm. I've always been interested in you know, observation and the experience of really slowing down and looking very closely and being in a, in a, the landscape, there's just so much that's out of your control. And you, you're just aware of the space because of the experience of like being in it and, and looking at it and, and making all those decisions um, on the spot. And so I don't know. I, I don't know if I've strayed too much away from your question. Oh, no. I mean, we're we're just you know talking about <laughs> painting outside you know it's well it's yeah. such a weird experience i always it seems like even though I, you know i started doing that in graduate school and it was crazy uh, because it really shifted my color dynamic quite a bit yes um yeah. you know like i think you know i painted things like bushes before but you know by having to sit there and observe color it just it kind of forces you to think about it differently which is interesting For but sure. i would always sit in like the worst spot, you know, like I would sit in a spot where all of the light is going to change in an hour. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. that that's the, I think the thing that's so exciting about it and challenging about it and kind of frightening about it too. I remember, you know, I met up with somebody that did a lot of landscape uh, based paintings, but never really painted outdoors. And, um, yeah, yeah. you know, when we met up for it, it was not, not a great experience for this individual, you know, it's like, Oh my gosh, this is, this is challenging. You know, it is really hard. Yeah. There's just a lot to contend with for sure. 
one painting that kind of sticks out to me, and I'm curious because we haven't really talked about maybe some techniques. So I'm sure there may be some painters that are especially like, oh my gosh, yeah, or I can see that. But like, what what kind of things are you doing in terms of making your work? There's this one called Back Porch, mm-hmm. and there are some, you know, very like what looked like scraped over areas, mm-hmm. but I don't know again, like what kind of techniques that you're kind of thinking about is, is that something that you're using a lot of different tools as well? I'm pretty traditional. Like I'm using, um, you know, brushes and I use my palette knife quite a bit. Well, it just sort of depends on the paintings. I go back and forth between using it a lot. So I guess with the, a lot of those paintings too, I'm working either on a kind of stiff paper or panel. Mm-hmm. And so the surface is very different than, than a canvas or, or linen because it, you know, with the panel, it just kind of s- slides around, uh, and sits on top. It's not like absorbing into the ground. It's not, it doesn't have like the tooth of the, the canvas or the linen. And so that's something that I also want to, I'm, I'm just always jumping around in that, in that way. I think I, with that back porch painting, I, I remember trying, I was trying to paint the screen and I was just like scraping scraping it down with my knife. I mean, I don't know, maybe I sanded it a little bit, but I definitely don't have a, I don't have a good, I don't have much to say about technique. I just try different things. Sure, <laughs> you know, sure. Sometimes I'm like, sometimes it's wet and wet. Sometimes it's, um, it's not, they're dry in between layers. Um, I definitely am not interested in indirect painting where I have like a kind of process where I'm building up in a particular way. Although I borrow certainly from indirect painting at, at times, like in the sense of sometimes using a, sometimes I'll put a colored ground down and paint really thinly so that that color can show through that sort of an indirect painting move. Mm-hmm. Sure. Sure. But I don't know. I just, I am, um, I think I've gotten more confident in using material more. They're kind of thicker looking around seeing if if this is true and I, I do think like painting the in the landscape well I I would never call myself a landscape painter I think it has given me some moves I don't know like it's 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 given it's letting me allow some moments of, of speed maybe that I wouldn't have had before well it's it's interesting too to think about it relative to like the space you know throughout your work in terms of the compositions because you know mm-hmm. like that that porch one there's you know, this landscape part of it, but then there's all this really flat aspect of it mm-hmm. as well. Or, you know, like another one that really sticks out to me from that. And again, it's really hard for me to just start moving on because there's so many nice paintings that I want to talk about, but this blue okay. room painting is, is really gorgeous. But again, it's, it's something that I, I think is interesting to think about, you know, maybe working through it, the same energy of something that's going to be done in a session is to have something that's, yeah. you know, this interior, I'm assuming, uh, was this at, a, at one of the residencies? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was at Hambridge. Yeah, it's a funky background, you know. I mean, again, it makes me want to go there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? thank you. Are you talking about blue, the Blue Room one? Yep, yep. Oh, that one was in Italy. That was in this okay. very, very um, kind of frozen in time apartment that I was staying in. Yeah. Okay. Well, and is there any like differences in terms of like when you work with acrylic over oil? I mean, not literally, but, you know, like in terms of uh, the, you know, are you building up like a background so that you can kind of work quickly, let it dry and then kind of work over? Usually I'm using acrylic. Yeah. Just for like a, as a time, kind of a time saver where I often use it as like, a, I think of it as like a drawing tool. So sometimes it's like if, I don't know, it's been a while since I've just made an acrylic painting. Usually I'm using it if I use it, it's for like initial drawing um, and just because it dries. But I, I just really love oil. And I, I for, for some of the reasons that people don't like working with oil, like the wet on wet, 
and the way that you can continue to, to, to move that paint around and that work, that surface that's that's for me for sure yeah well so moving on to some of the like larger works i guess i would mm -hmm. say when i say larger you know we got 14 by 16 or 30 you know by 36 it's interesting to think about that shift i'm i'm sure in terms of scale but i would imagine these you know paintings that come in the following series the uh, home bodies um, uh -huh. i would imagine are much more time consuming then or allow you that the kind of like the home bodies work and the retreat work is kind of it's much of the same mm -hmm work one kind of extends into the other and it's more time i guess um when they when they were made more so they're slower for sure and they're larger and some of them are quite complex in terms of the pattern and things so like some of them like the on a pedestal one was like that took me some time to figure that out and then others though like the nightlight painting that happened pretty quickly so i don't i don't know again i'm just not it takes like, sometimes how long it just it happens takes. <laughs> it like takes as long as it needs to take right yeah, um, yeah. Well, again, it's interesting that you kind of pointed out one of the, again, of course, one that I certainly wrote down was the, on the pedestal one, just because, you know, that background um, becomes so abstracted that you start wondering, are these shadows or, mm -hmm. you know, is this like a pattern cloth that you have set up in terms of like how you're composing these? What's the setup like for this? Is it something then that is just observed? I got excited about painting those, those landscapes. And it, part of it was just, um, it was the experience for sure, but also thinking, I think I mentioned this about the abstraction that's kind of offered through nature. Mm -hmm. There's always decision-making that has to happen. And I'm just really excited about the interpretation uh, through perception. Like you're looking at something and you're making all these decisions that are based on what you're observing, but also based on like what the painting kind of leads you to and what, what the painting needs. I mean, I think something that's been consistent throughout my work for a while is just playing a little bit with flatness and volume. And while I, I think I'm pretty squarely a, a representational painter, there are these elements of abstraction, I think, that are that do something to the space and that can, I think, can create a sort of visual confusion sometimes or complication. So then after making those initial landscape paintings, I started bringing all this work, all these plants into my studio and just painting those. And the pattern was a way to like extend from the, the plants into the the background space. And I like that idea of there being a kind of tangle between what's happening around the plants and what's happening within them. They are set things that I've set up in my studio. So I just have like things all over the place hanging and on tables and kind of on studio furniture. Well, and again, there's just so, so much in terms of your, your work to look at. And again, as a somebody that's like kind of like a color addict, you know, it's really nice to kind of just look over these and, and see that exploration. And they, they change sometimes kind of radically. Like there's this one called electric, which is mm -hmm. kind of maybe, you know, a little bit darker in terms of some of the, the color, obviously the one mm -hmm. you pointed out, like the nightlight one. Mm -hmm. I don't know. There's ones that kind of jump into this kind of mix between, again, you, you almost don't know if it's a wallpaper or if it's just mm -hmm. like a fragment of something that's been turned into wallpaper. Like mm -hmm. um, I think it's called tiny floral. Mm -hmm. um, but again, it's just, it's interesting to think about that in, in relationship to some of the other work and some of the ways of working. Thank you. Thanks for that read. I mean, I'm glad that you have these, some of these questions, like, what is it that I'm looking at? I think <laughs> it's, it's a way of, um, I hope that it can, yeah, just again, back to this idea of, of providing some openness, like I'm painting something and I think sometimes it can be a really fast, okay, a plant, or you can identify what it is quickly, but I, I hope that there's something there. And that something there might be how I'm using material or even color that that is 
maybe pointing you in one direction or like making you as you as a viewer ask a question. Yeah. And I think, again, it's interesting to think about like maybe that flatness, especially to some of them, you know, and some of them literally almost start to kind of blend into the background. But Mm -hmm. the one that I did bring up earlier that I wanted to talk to you about is this uh, sweet succulent one, because it's Mm -hmm. the only one that I'm like, where's the vinyl in this one? What's going on with that? (laughs) Oh, that's just referring to the the material flash. Okay. Okay. You can, I think in, in real life, it's, you can sort of see it as a really subtle undercurrent, but it's this vinyl paint that's very, very bright. Well, the, the flash that I'm buying is like, I'm getting these like really fluorescent colors. So again, it's sort of a, a contemporary way of, of kind of thinking about indirect paint, in a way, thinking about indirect painting of like having a, a vibrant color first mm-hmm. that, that might remain in, in a way in the end. And I'm curious too, like at some point, do you just... I don't want to say stop looking, but you know what I mean? Like there's in a, in a weird way, like when you start painting trees or something like mm-hmm. that, there's a, a moment where you just kind of start moving away from the, you know, the image or the observation sure. to kind of make it that painting. And again, sure. there's so many of them that, that I'm looking at where like the amount of variation of color is just like, all oh, right, I got to add this, you know, blue green over here. And oh, I'm going to mix it in over there. It's like, again, interesting to think about that as a, as a painter, just like I said, just trying to figure out how these are made and, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to talk about almost because it's like when you're in it, like how aware are you of the decisions that you're making? Sometimes I'm like, okay, and now I'm going to make this mark. But then sometimes it's just you're just you're just doing it. You're just working. And for sure, they are closely tied to what I'm observing, but also I'm taking a lot of liberties too. And there are definitely points where I'm just responding to the painting itself and I'm, I'm shifting away from being true to life. Well, I'm curious then too, like, so the most recent series of paintings for retreat, what, what would you say are like kind of the differences in terms of like the, I don't know, the work throughs for those in comparison to what we were just talking about? We're talking really formally about like how the paintings are made and some of the painting moves. So like, I, I, I am really interested in these formal conversations for sure. But in terms of content, I started painting plants also as a response to kind of like things that were going on not only in the in the world broadly but just kind of in my life there were some like really what felt like some toxic things going on for me professionally and it was in kind of a bad place in a lot of ways mm-hmm. and so and then this was like post the election and things just felt kind of dark and I really wanted to shift in a in a I was also ready to move on from the encounters work and so bringing plants into my studio and like painting these plants and these patterns I was interested in yes a formal complexity but also interested in kind of like packing in bright color and pattern and plants which and all of that felt kind of insistently joyful at times or just like beautiful and really thinking about embracing that as a way of kind of like nourishing um, myself almost also it provided an outlet for me it was just sort of like about pleasure and it continues to be about that like not only by way of the subject matter but painting things that felt that was just that were really pleasurable that allowed me to um play with materiality and just kind of have a good experience just sure. all the way around. Um, and I hope too that it's like um, a gesture that is kind of visually nourishing for the viewer also. And so this new work, I'm, I've also started painting flowers a lot. And again, like just sort of like landscape. I never thought I'd be like making paintings of flowers. <laughs> it's like a rather big cliche. But I am interested in flowers because of their like overt beauty 
for sure. Uh, and because, like, because of their overt beauty, thinking about how they've been a symbol of femininity and they're associated with, I think, the feminine being beautiful and delicate and soft and all and colorful, all that. And I'm interested in how just historically, like, colorful painting has not been respected as being kind of intellectually rigorous. And, and certain subjects like flowers have not been as respected. And I don't think that's that's too different than sort of how we think about women just culturally and, and you know, and so the symbol of flowers, it's, it's interesting. Like I think it can be, it's sort of benign, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's non-threatening. And in that way, I think it can be easily overlooked. And I'm sort of, I'm sort of interested in that, this idea that, that I'm like a woman painting these flowers and people might make assumptions about me or my work based on that. And I'm sort of, I'm, I'm sort of interested in that as a kind of a subversive gesture, I think. So those are some of the things that I'm considering. And also just like how with plants too, but flowers, we like give them to each other. So there's often like a gesture associated with them. A lot of the bouquets have been gifted to me or some of them are, you know, I just bought them wherever, but some of them were they're kind of markers of an event or um, a circumstance that I don't I don't th- want to share exactly. But in a lot of them, there's a kind of a larger conversation that I might hint at, like through a title um, mm-hmm. or maybe through my statement. But I, I don't think it's completely apparent. I'm still continuing to make this work and kind of flesh it out. But those are some of the things that I'm thinking about. I've been focusing a bit on the formal side of it, like you were saying a little while ago. I'm curious, and too, like in terms of like a process, I mean, is there a lot of looking and, and like writing in terms of like, you know, what's going on? Because, you know, like I've been focusing on, again, the, the way that they kind of come together, you know, when you're painting them as opposed to, you know, are there things that you're reading? Are there things that you're responding to? And oh, I guess sure. you kind of talked about that a little bit, but. Yeah, I'm always reading and I try to write just not necessarily in fully formed, you know, paragraphs, but I try to write as part of my practice to help me articulate what is, what can often, so often feel nonverbal, you know, like painting is so much about emotion and touch and experience. And for me anyway, Mm -hmm. and I have all these things that are kind of rolling around in my mind. And so writing is, is really helpful for me to just try to connect dots. Um, yeah, I, I read a lot of different things right now. I've been reading, um, and I've been trying to make space for, for reading too. Like it's, it's so hard to do during the academic year for me anyway, mm-hmm. unless I really dedicate time to it. And we talked about this earlier. I'm on a sabbatical right now. So I have what feels like an, an abundance of time. So I've been trying to make a point to read and I am, you know, reading all sorts of things. I've been reading fiction lately. Um, I mean, I always have been, but I've been reading the the Rachel Cusk uh, trilogy, so I'm like on the third one now, and Sheila Hetty, and those are books that are fiction, but they're kind of like taken. It's like taken from life, but also these fictionalized characters, and they're a lot about personhood, but more specifically womanhood, and thinking about the kind of ordinary and also complex experience of being a woman and being a person in the world, being a mother, being an artist. The the language is very rich and visual to me. And so books like that have been really helpful to just continue to think through what I'm hoping some of what my paintings will do. I'm trying to think of like what's on my nightstand right now. I'm reading a (laughs) book of essays um, called Funny Weather by Olivia Lang. And it's like, I think the subtitle is Art in an Emergency. And so just reading about 
the work of others or just the, the necessity of art in the state of emergency, that feels very uh, apt these days for sure. And so those are some things too. I'm not in an art center here, so I try to look try to go see as much painting as possible. It's been really hard these days. I'm starting to feel really down about it now because I'm not traveling to see work. But I look at a lot of, you know, painting and looking at books all the time. I just bought this beautiful Noah Davis book that I'm really excited about. And um, I've been returning to a Jennifer Packer book, which has some really wonderful writing in it. So reading artist essays and reading you know, people like Helen Molesworth, for example, writing about other painters and listening to podcasts is, I think, equally as informative. So I don't know, like another rambling answer, maybe, but those <laughs> no, are some of the things I'm thinking about. It sounds like you're in the, the perfect state of mind to, to deal with what's going on in, in terms of oh, you know, diving into work. And I don't necessarily talk too much about politics in, in terms of you know, the way that we're at with things. But again, I think, you know, thinking about some of those things or, you know, womanhood and then thinking about the context of maybe seeing a, a group of these paintings, it starts to kind of make, make sense for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just because, you know, being married, I know, I know that there's a weird set of rules that I think almost gets made for you know, oh, yeah. our society, obviously, <laughs> you know, and obviously that's something that's really prevalent right now because, you know, things are hopefully kind of, I don't want to say be, people are more accountable, but, you know, it kind of is hopefully going that way because it just seems so weird that people live in different worlds, I guess, you know? Yes. And I mean, in terms of like the world right now, which feels pretty bleak to me um, at a lot of times, more than ever, I'm aware of the privilege of being able to go to a studio and make paintings, you know, like make mm-hmm. paintings about whatever I want to make paintings about. I'm like painting these flowers. And so I think it feels like, yeah, just it's, it is quite a privilege. I'm like very aware of that. I'm also really trying to honor the gift of this time that's, you know, afforded to me through the sabbatical and through having this space. And But it also feels really urgent and necessary as well. So I feel like my work is sort of about going to the studio and like having this kind of experience for sure, but it's not unaware of what's happening in the world either. I always ask people before I you know, just hang up on them. Um, you know, is, is there anything that we didn't talk about that you were especially like, oh my gosh, we didn't talk about my favorite paint smell. So. Mine is cadmium red. I don't know if that's it. Oh, that that's ever gets... mine too. Cadmium red light is sort of one of, is more of my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Again, I think there's probably, probably that toxicity is something that oil painters must love <laughs> or something, you know? Um, yeah. There is something weird to me thinking back about like that first experience with oil paint and being like, wow, this stuff smells really good. Oh, it smells so good. But it's (laughs) funny teaching, you know, teaching because sometimes people are like, oh, it smells so bad in here. (laughs) But that makes me really, the smell of of linseed oil makes me really happy. (laughs) (laughs) So you've been kind of in this wonderful time, I guess, of just kind of research and, and creativity. Are there any things that you're kind of like working for towards like future shows? Or is it just all about that energy in the studio right now? Yeah, it's I mean, I had some things that fell through because of the pandemic that we're in. Mm-hmm. I did just have a couple of things closed. So I was in a great group show at, at Lab Space, which is an artist run space in Hillsdale, New York, that's run by Ellen Letcher and Julie Torres. Um, so that that was great. Um, and then I have some work up right now at Thomas Dean's in Atlanta. I, I don't have anything in the fall, which, which I feel really 
happy about actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm in a group show that's opening in January at a university in Alabama. And I do have a couple of like kind of bigger group shows. One has been pushed back to 2021 now and one is, or 2022 now, and one is scheduled to open in February, but those artist lists haven't been announced yet. So I can't really talk about them, but so I'm like working towards those. So just trying to use this time to think about balance, <laughs> to ch- really think about how I can have space for like making work and also teaching and then also life out of making work and teaching. Um, so like personal time and the space that I need. And I, I just think this is like a, a really good moment just in the world for everyone. But me, because I have this sabbatical too, I can like finally sit and, and think in a way that hasn't felt possible for ever, maybe. Sure, sure. You know, I just think like culturally, we're always like, what's next? What's what's next? What's coming up next? What's coming up next? And just try to like be at peace with what's going on and just work and just be driven by the work and not get too caught up on that what what's next yet. So I'm really trying to embrace the break of the fall and, and while, and then like think about putting together some proposals and I know that there will be some shows coming up next year. Awesome. Well, again, just to kind of remind everybody, where are the best places to to follow you and see what you're up to? So I have a website, of course, you can find me if you just search my name and then I'm pretty active on Instagram. So that's kind of a, a way that you can sort of see what's going on in I don't know if in real time is quite the <laughs> phrase, but like more of a, a kind of in progress or more up to date fashion. Awesome. Well, again, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to to speak with me today. It's great talking to you about your work and learning more. Well, so great. Thank you for the opportunity. Thanks once again to Christina Renfrew Vogel for joining me. It was a pleasure to talk all about your work. And of course, if you enjoyed listening, be sure and check out more of Christina's work at ChristinaRenfrewVogel.com. Follow her on Instagram at Christina Renfrew Vogel. And that way you can see all of the latest stuff. There's tons of work there to see. So go check it out. If you like today's episode, visit studiobreak.com. Get a bunch of different interviews with a bunch of different artists up there. You can go through the archives and check out artists that you missed. And once again, each of our posts have images of the artwork, links to their websites, and of course, listen right in the default player or click those links, subscribe to the podcast, and that way you always have something to listen to while you're working in the studio. And of course, if you like the podcast, you can review it or be sure at the very least to say hello in social media. So like us on Facebook, you can follow us on Twitter at Studio Break and of course on Instagram at Studio underscore Break, but it's always nice to hear from you. So be sure and say hello there. I want to thank Skylar Mail, who provides the music to Studio Break. You can check out his artwork at SkylarMail.net. And of course, if you want to see my paintings and see a little bit about what I'm doing or what I'm up to, be sure and check out davidlinaway.com. There's a bunch of different artwork there. And of course, you can also find me on Facebook and or Instagram at David Linaway. So be sure and say hello. And that's a wrap. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode as much as I did. I hope that your studio is productive and you're making and staying safe. We'll talk to you real soon.